All right, good morning. How's everyone doing? 11 a.m. service, my favorite service. I mean it when the 9 a.m. isn't here. Uh, you guys are my favorite service. Uh, welcome to uh, the Springs, if this is your first time joining us. My name is Alberto, and I serve here alongside our amazing team of elders in, in leading this church. Uh, before we actually get uh, started with worship in the Word, I have one more announcement, one more announcement about generosity uh, that pertains to the life of our church. So as many of you know, uh, we have a ministry arm uh, in this church called Storehouse. Uh, and the Storehouse was founded about six or seven years ago with this vision uh, to gather food, uh, canned food, uh, rice, uh, perishable, non-perishable items, and, and distribute it uh, to families and, and people in our community in need. And for the past uh, seven years, we've been doing that. Uh, and we've blessed dozens of children, uh, dozens of family uh, with food from our storehouse. Uh, now, uh, what has happened this year is uh, during lockdown, uh, we began to notice that that storehouse began to dwindle. Uh, the food supply began to go down from March uh, to August, but something else increased, and that was our COVID-19 benevolence fund. And so since uh, starting our COVID-19 Benevolence Fund, we've raised almost $5,000 from your generous giving. And we've actually moved half of that, half of that towards gift cards, H-E-B gift cards, to put in the hands of families with food insecurity and give them the option and the choice to buy the groceries that they want not just the groceries that are available here, because uh, you know we can't store some of these perishable items in our church. Uh, we've been able to buy uh, Visa gift cards so we can help people put gas in the car. We've, we've been able to, to give out cash so people can pay for their bills and keep the lights on. We've been able to be a benevolent and generous church because of this benevolence fund. And so the elders and I and the deacons and the staff, we got to praying, and, and this is our heart. We want to we build deep missional roots in our community. We want to make a very big impact for the kingdom of God. And, and so what we're going to do going into 2021 is this exciting transition. We're actually going to transition storehouse into a general benevolence fund. And so what that means is that instead of collecting canned goods and asking you to bring um, grocery store items, we're asking you if you would consider once a month, maybe once a quarter, whatever God puts on your heart, that on top of your regular tithes and offering, would you consider giving a special gift towards our benevolence fund? $15, $25, $500, whatever God puts in your heart, knowing that every single one of those dollars will actually go towards meeting the tangible needs of people uh, in this house and in the community around us. And we have an exciting, a beautiful opportunity to go above and beyond. Uh, so I want you to hear this. We're not ending storehouse uh, we're actually taking it to another level. We're not just stopping something. We're going to another level, uh, hoping to be a greater blessing uh, and, and have a greater impact in our community. And so the families and the members that have been using Storehouse currently, we've already touched base with them, uh, and we've made a commitment to bless them with a, a monthly HEB gift card so they can go get the groceries that they want the groceries that would bless their family. Uh, and that's something that we're going to continue doing. And so I invite you uh, to pray and ask God, Lord, what is it that I can give? 
uh, towards this benevolent fund. And all, every single dollar will be moved into a separate fund that will be used directly towards blessing people in our community uh, with the utmost financial accountability under our elders. And so I'm so excited. I'm really excited about this opportunity to have a greater impact uh, in the kingdom of God for our community. So Storehouse has been wonderful. Now we're taking it to the next level uh, to be a greater blessing for our community. So uh, at any time during the service, I even invite you, go to the springstx.org slash give uh, and, and, and drop a, a gift towards our benevolence fund. If you're on your phone during the service, I'm assuming that's what you're doing. Uh, if not, no worries, do it later. Uh, but we invite you to be a generous church as God has been so generous and gracious with us in going above and beyond and meeting all our needs. With that, next year when we have our, our quarterly financial meetings, you'll get to hear updates about how we're using this benevolence fund to bless people in our community, uh, to hold, uh, be financially accountable to the gifts that God has allowed us to steward. So I'm so excited about that. Uh, So let's jump into the word. Uh, Greetings again. We are in week two of our Advent sermon series called All Things New. Uh, For those of you who aren't familiar with Advent, uh, it's simply this Latin word that means coming or arrival. Uh, it, it celebrates two things. One, the arrival of Jesus uh, into humanity in the form of a baby. Um, and it's also anticipating and looking forward to his, his return. Uh, we know we have this Christian hope uh, that the world that we live in uh, isn't the final world. That God is coming back and he's going to restore and reorder all of creation to be in perfect harmony and unity with him. Uh, that actually that, that we would uh, live in a universe uh, that God designed originally free of sin, where he will wipe away every single tear and make all things new. And so this Christmas season, we're, we're not just looking forward uh, to the Christmas movies and the Christmas gifts and the hot chocolate and the pajamas. Those are all awesome. But we're actually celebrating the arrival of a person, the person of Christ, who is coming and he is making and currently making all things new. And one of the things that we're going to look at today is how Christ has made us a new creation. I love this. Christ has made us a new creation. So will you please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. We will be looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. This is what it says. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated as we pray. Father, we we come to you in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, we come into this room bearing the weight of the world, burdens and distractions, guilt and shame, fear and insecurity, anxiety, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, And Lord, it can seem like we're tormented and tortured and distant. But Father, I pray that in this moment, you do what only you can do, and that is, that is the part the seas, remove all the barriers and distractions, and help us see Christ. Holy Spirit, help us engage the word this morning. Help us be transformed as we think about you this morning and worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Uh, when I was a, a, a much younger uh, person in, in my college days, uh, Back in 2011, shout out to the old roommate, Victor Hernandez, right here. He, he was one of the guys I was uh, very young and dumb with uh, in the first sermon that I talked about. I'll connect the dots. Give me a second. Uh, very early on, uh, I had made this commitment with uh, my freshman friends in the dorm that we lived in. We wanted to follow Jesus. We wanted to become better men. And so we wanted our character to change. So we told each other, hey, like we have to clean up our language. We can't be uh, vulgar and foul-mouthed. We have to uh, speak with uh, Christ-like tongue and speech. And so we said this thing that, that if any one of us ever like uh, said something wrong or out of conduct or out of speech, we just punch each other in the head. Uh, that was sort of the, the discipleship then. I don't recommend this. It didn't work. Uh, and so none of us ever looked forward to like saying the wrong thing around one another because we'd get thumped or punched in the head. Now, what's interesting to notice is that when that group of friends wasn't in the room, we were just talking as normal. Uh, we wanted to change our behavior. We wanted to change our lifestyle. But at best, we were just modifying our behavior. We were just modifying the way that we were acting. Around each other, we could, we could keep each other accountable. But if we were in a room with a different crowd of people and, and a different setting and scenario, it seemed like we were just going back to our old ways. We wanted to change, but we always reverted back to what was normal for us. And so my question for you this morning is, is have you ever attempted to make a change in your life? Have you ever attempted to change something in your life? You see, we all have things in our lives that we would like to change. Uh, some of us have a list of things uh, we would like to change. Uh, maybe we'd like to change our uh, career path. Uh, maybe we want to switch up our occupation and do something new with our lives. Uh, maybe we want to change our major and, and shift to something else. Maybe we want to change our friendships or, or change our lifestyle. Uh, maybe spouses or something about your loved one that, that you want to change. Uh, my wife back there, amen. She's saying, yes, change, uh, please. Uh, put the toothpaste and the toothbrush up after you're done using. I'm, I'm changing. I'm, I'm working on it. Uh, we all want things. We want to change things in our roommates and in our personal lives. Uh, maybe it's the numbers on the scale. Uh, maybe uh, you would like to eat differently, work out more. Maybe it's the numbers in the bank account. You want to see those numbers change, your relationships change. Um, it, it seems like uh, there's always this list of things that, that we want to see happen in our lives, things that we want to adjust. Maybe it's our lifestyle and the way we conduct ourselves. Maybe we feel the burden and, and the guilt of sin 
and we know that the life we're living uh, it stands uh, against the life that God has called us to live, and we want to change the way we live. Regardless of where you find yourself this morning, we all have things in our lives that we want to change. Now, here's the tension in life that, that we experience, is that we all desire change, we all know we need change, but we don't want someone else coming in and changing us. We don't like it when, when someone else comes in and, and gets in our business and gets in our personal lives and says, hey, this is what you need to change. This is what you need to do differently, and this is how you should do it. We want to change. We pray about changing, but we don't want anyone else coming in and changing us. We would much rather fix ourselves. And, and this is the, the tension that we experience if you're honest with yourself is that rarely do we want someone else to come in and transform us. Rarely do we want someone else uh, to come in and, and change everything about us, and that includes God. We want God. We need God. But rarely do we want God coming in and telling us, stop doing this and start doing that. Rarely do we want God coming in and saying, hey, what you're partaking in, the sin that you're feasting on, uh, how about living for me and see how that's a much better way to live? We think it's a good idea. It sounds good, but rarely do we welcome him, welcome him into our lives to change us. And so what's interesting to notice is that when you search the scriptures, when you go throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, for example, in the New Testament, there are only 12 verses in the ESV that contain the word change. Um, and none of those verses have anything to do with changing lifestyle, habits, or attitude. It's more like uh, the time changed or, or a change of clothes, but, but nothing about personal behavioral change. And, and change is an important word. We need change. We want change. But the preferred word that the Bible uses to describe change is transformation. Rarely does the Bible use the word change. The preferred word is transformation. Uh, in fact, there's a, there's a Greek word that the Bible uses for transformation, uh, and that's where we get the word metamorphosis. And, and I love this word because this is, this is what God wants to do in our lives. Now, now think about metamorphosis. Let's go back to the first or second grade. Uh, there's, there's a caterpillar, and it goes into a cocoon, and it metamorphosizes. Uh, and a few weeks later, it comes out as a beautiful butterfly. Uh, what was once a specific shape and form, a caterpillar, has now been transformed. It, it is a different shape, form. Uh, it's a completely different creature. It's a beautiful butterfly. And, and this describes the type of work that God wants to do in our lives, is that he doesn't want to change us. He wants to transform us. He wants to take the, the most broken parts of our lives. He wants to take every single part of our lives and make us a new creature, makes, make us a new creation. Uh, and this form, what is this new form? It, it, it's the form of uh, uh, the image of Christ, in other words, going back to our original design. We were originally designed to be in union with God, to be in relationship with him, uh, to enjoy all of creation and the world around us in complete unhindered union with him. 
And as we did that, we would fully express ourselves in all of our work, uh, in all of our studies, in all that we do uh, in union with God and bring meaning to the world around us. And now because of sin, we try to look for meaning in everything that's uh, a part of creation. We look for meanings uh, in possessions and money and relationships. Whereas we were designed to be in union with God. And so God wants to transform us into the image of Christ and into this person of Christ that is in untethered union and relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He wants to take us all broken and flawed and transform us into something we could never become on our own. And so if we continue with this, this caterpillar illustration, is a caterpillar has very limited mobility. Uh, it behaves according to what it is. It's a worm. It does the worm naturally. Uh, that's all a caterpillar does. But when it's transformed, when it experiences metamorphosis, remember that Greek word, transformation, metamorphosis, when that caterpillar is transformed, it no longer behaves like a caterpillar. It behaves like a butterfly. It takes on a whole new set of behaviors because it has a whole new body. It has a whole new way of living. It has a whole new range of motions because it's been transformed into something completely different. You see, when, when apart from Christ, we have a very limited range of motion for delighting in, in God. Uh, in fact, we have a very limited range of motion for experiencing the world. Uh, we tend to experience it from this lens that everything is about me uh, and I, and it's about whatever I want to do, and, and, and that's how we live life. But when Christ sets us free, uh, like we learned last, a few weeks ago, when, when he enlightens the, the eyes of our heart, we begin to see the world as God sees the world. And, and, and we begin to take on this whole new range of motion for living. Uh, we begin to experience the, the fullness of, of God's good gifts in humanity. We, we experience this, this new life, this, this new power. We have new desires in Christ as we become a new creation. You see, apart from Christ, our, our, our range of motion is very limited. We're like a worm, very limited to, to our surroundings and what's around us. But when God transforms us and we become this, this beautiful butterfly, for, for lack of a better illustration, we take off. We have this new range of motion. Uh, we, we, we see the world from a completely different perspective. We experience life completely differently than being on the ground. We have a heavenly perspective. When we're transformed, when we experience this, uh, we take on a, a new set of behaviors because we have a new body. And for many of, this, many of us in this room, we're trying to take on new behaviors in an old body. We're trying to take on new behaviors uh, with, with an old way of living, and that's why we constantly revert back to the old way because we need to be transformed completely from the inside out. Uh, what the Scripture says is that we become a new creation, not as we behave our way into the kingdom of God. This, is, this has nothing to do with moralism or behavior modification. It has nothing to do with raising your hands at the right time in worship, praying the right words, showing up to church, leaving at the right time, going to a growth group. It has nothing to do with your behavior. But it has everything to do with our belief. Who do we believe in? Uh, and as we believe in God and behold the person of Christ, we become a new creation. We don't behave and then become. We believe and then we become. 
This is what makes uh, this, the message of Jesus so, so amazing. I love this. Is that everywhere else you will read and you will see, uh, behave and then become. Behave and then become. Behave and then become. Get your life right, then you will become accepted by God. Get your life right, and then you can become great uh, in the kingdom of God. But, but the scriptures, the gospel says uh, that behave, man, throw that out the window. There's nothing you can do. That, that we're hopeless, that we're dead. That there's nothing that we can do to improve the spiritual quality of our lives. And so instead of relying on our own efforts, we believe. We attach our faith to a person, and then that person transforms us, and we become a new creation. Praise God for that, is that you don't have to behave your way into the kingdom of God. You believe your way into the kingdom of God. And, and so then when we evaluate our own lives and, and we look at the, the, the sins and the lifestyles that we partake in, it always has to do with an issue of unbelief is that, that we enjoy the sins that, that, that we pursue because we fail to believe that God can satisfy and, and fulfill us in that place. That, that we pursue these endless relationships with broken people because we fail to believe that God can satisfy us and complete us. That, that we pursue the hustle train because we fail to believe that God can meet every single need in Christ Jesus. And what God is, is doing in us is, is he's crafting these hearts that believe. It, it's not, uh, the, the issue isn't becoming a new creation. The issue is believing that you are a new creation, that God has made you a new creation. So let's take a closer look at uh, 2 Corinthians five fourteen through 17. It says, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for their sake, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is the contrast of the old and new life. The old life is about living for yourself, living for your desires, your purposes, doing what brings you the most immediate pleasure and satisfaction. Uh, it doesn't take anyone else into consideration, and, it, and God is at the very bottom of the totem pole in uh, consulting his opinion for your life. And this is what Paul calls the old life, is, is living for yourself. But he says in verse 16, uh, But now on, uh, therefore, uh, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God is making all things new. Every single part of the universe, he's restoring and renewing, and he's making us a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Uh, the new has gone. So what does this old refer to? Uh, we just read about it or just mentioned it. It refers to the, the old nature, the sin nature. Uh, the, the, the part of our lives that is given over to the desires of the flesh, that, that seeks to exalt our own desires rather than please the heart of God. Uh, it is that natural pride that rises in our heart. It is the self-reliance on ourself and on our works. It is uh, our, our opinions of, of what the world looks like and how it behaves rather uh, than consulting uh, and relying on God's view of the world. It is those habits and passions uh, that, that we know break the heart of God, that we know there's something wrong about this, 
that we continue to pursue anyways, believing that it would satisfy and fulfill you, and yet we end up empty time and time again. Paul says that if we're in Christ, this old nature has passed away, uh, that, that what we once loved has passed away. The, 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 the love of self, uh, the self-righteousness, the self-promotion, the, the self-justification has passed away. Uh, that you no longer have to live your life to exalt yourself uh, because Christ exalts you with him. Uh, that you no longer have to live a life to validate yourself because all of your validation is found in Christ. That you don't have to live your life defending yourself, proving yourself, proving your beauty, proving your worth by taking on a lifestyle, by taking on an image, when all that beauty, worth, and validation is found in the person of Christ. Uh, that, that we become this new creature, this new creation, that instead of looking inwardly, uh, we are free to look outwardly towards Christ. That, that instead of being this old creation that, that looks inwardly and looks to self and all that I want to do, we look outwardly. And we look to Jesus and what he wants to do in the world. The old has passed away, and there's a new creature, a new creation, a, a new person. I, I love that the way that the gospel or the New Testament really highlights this. Um, John is, is probably the most straightforward about this. Uh, to describe, uh, Paul says old creation, new creation. Uh, John calls it uh, living in the family of God or living in the family of the devil. Uh, he gets really straightforward with it. And, and I love that clarity. Uh, I love that straightforwardness because it helps really define the relationship. It doesn't leave any room for gray area. And it's actually one of the most loving things uh, that the scripture can do for us uh, is help expose who we think we are so that we can actually become all that God has called us to be. It doesn't leave us wondering in mystery like, hey, who am I or where am I? It clearly tells you who you are and then it connects us to something greater by putting our faith in Christ. That's incredible. And so John says uh, that you're either in the family of God or you're the family of the enemy, the devil. There's no in between. Uh, if you're partially in the family of God, uh, that's actually equivalent to being in the family of the enemy. You're either all in or you're all out. There's no in between. Uh, and, and John says that, that when you look like you're, when you're in the family of God, you'll look like your father. Uh, not perfectly, but you'll begin to resemble him in your thoughts, actions, attitudes, and life. Um, that, that we begin uh, to take on uh, the father's desires and the father's heart. So does this mean that I perfectly live a sinless life? No. Uh, but it does mean that I seek to live a life that puts sin to death because it breaks my Father's heart. And instead of becoming something for myself, I want to become more like God. Being in the family of the enemy is the complete opposite. It's not even living a life for the devil. It's living a life for yourself. It's saying that, that I could completely disregard who God is and, and what are his desires for my life, the, the opinions of others. I just want to do what I think is best for me. So the reason why I choose this career, why I choose this major, why I choose this relationship, why I choose this job, why I drive the car I drive and eat the food I eat, whatever it is, is because it's all about me and what brings me immediate pleasure and desire. And the reason why John says that this is living in the family of the enemy is because it's living a life that has no regard for God the Father. And the easiest way to take our eyes off God the Father is not by redirecting us to like uh, some sort of uh, ritualistic satanic worship, but by getting our eyes on ourself. Because that's how naturally selfish we are. And God comes in to free us from that. 
He comes in to help us take off our eyes off ourselves or anything else that we're looking at and comes to show us something far greater, something far better, uh, an incredible way to live. And, and I love what happens when he does this. And this is what Paul says. Uh, he says that, that he know, God no longer counts our trespasses against us. That's incredible. Uh, what that means is that when you come into Christ, God does not consider your sin resume, all of your failures, all of your weaknesses, everything that you've ever done wrong. He doesn't take that into consideration. He, he says that he no longer counts those trespasses against us. That's why uh, it's so uh, in scandalous grace, grace upon grace. There's no way to really have uh, earthly words for this. Uh, the, the abundance of God's love for us is that you can come into union with him, you can come into relationship with him, and, and, and you don't bring any of that other stuff with you. Uh, that he doesn't count all of your failures, all of your sins against you. He freely welcomes you into his family. He transfers you into his family. He relocates you. He changes you. He transforms you. He takes the initiative in all of this. And so I, I love this because as someone who's struggled with, with shame before, uh, I, I'm, I look to this. I'm like, God, you, you no longer count my trespasses against me. Romans 8, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, that, 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 that my life and my identity is completely rooted in the finished work of Christ. Uh, and so with that, when, the, when the accuser wants to accuse me of my sinfulness, uh, I point to the righteousness of God in Christ, which is mine, which is yours. Uh, that God is no longer counting your trespasses against you. So this does not mean that we continue on sinning so that grace may abound. What this does mean is that when we do sin or fall short, we can freely approach the throne of grace and come enjoy God and not have to worry about changing ourselves, adjusting ourselves, or modifying ourselves, but we come to the throne of grace and he transforms us and he changes us. This is incredible news that, that God uh, takes us, the, uh, this old creation, this old nature, and completely transforms us, gives us a new spiritual range of motion, gives us a new life. We become a new creation. When I think about new creation, uh, I, I think about Marsha Paulton in, in the back. Shout out to, to Marsha, wonderful, wonderful media volunteer. Uh, she is a uh, middle school teacher at Del Valley, uh, and, and, and she's just an awesome person to be around, really exudes the joy of the Lord. Uh, and I asked her, hey, what was, what's that? give me that brief two-minute miracle of how God transformed your life. And, and she shared with me uh, that, that she grew up in a, in a very rough home, was exposed to things that no kid, no one should ever be exposed to, things that you would, you would think you only saw in movies. Um, and that she came to college uh, to pursue the normal college experience, uh, to find uh, worth and value, whether uh, in, in relationships with men or, or friendships with certain type of people, uh, in pursuing the partying lifestyle, um, and, and, and just drinking from that well of sin. Um, and, and so wanted nothing to do with God. Uh, there was a, a turning point uh, where it seemed like her world was falling apart, and uh, Alyssa happened to be right there uh, embodying uh, the love of Christ and invited her to a growth group. And, and Marcia uh, uh, was introduced to a gospel community and saw people living for Jesus and, and heard the gospel preached and, and gave her life to Jesus. And, and if you ask her, I'm just sharing a, a brief uh, bird's-eye snippet of her story, but if you ask her to share it with you, you would see that that there was this old creation, this old nature, this old person, and now she's been radically transformed. Uh, 
uh, where she lives her life in consciousness of, of who God is and, and all that God is calling her to be. She lives a kingdom-minded life in her home, at work. I mean, she is a powerhouse disciple. There was this old person, and now there's a new creation. Uh, I, I think of people like uh, uh, Christopher Beelan. He's a, he's a sergeant in the Austin Police Department. Uh, this is what, what he said when I asked him about his story. He said that all throughout his teens and through his 20s, uh, he was promiscuous, used drugs, drank heavily. This led to broken relationships with his children and ultimately led to a divorce. Uh, he said he went to a Christian film festival and heard the gospel for the first time, uh, even though he grew up in church that he heard this good news that, that, that God loves sinners and he's drawing them in into relationship with him. And, and he said that his heart began to change, that there was this old way of living where, where he, he gave himself uh, uh, to promiscuous living, uh, to drugs, to broken relationships, uh, and his heart changed. And eventually he found and married Christina, his wonderful wife. Shout out to Christina Bielan. And they've been married for 15 years and are enjoying a Christ-centered marriage built on a solid foundation in the Lord. He said, now, instead of living in secrecy, he lives with joy and freedom. That instead of living with guilt, fear, and shame, he lives with joy. That the old has passed away and he's walking as a new creation. I could go on and on and on. Stories of, of people in this room, story of people in my life who've directly impacted me from hearing their story and how God still transforms lives. How, how, how there is uh, no sin too deep or a person too far that the grace of God cannot extend and reach and transform a person's life. And the reason I share this is because I want to build hope in your life. Uh, that when we read the scriptures, we don't read an ancient text that has nothing to do with our lives but we're reading something that is actually happening in this church, that we're reading something that is happening every single day in this community. This means that if God uh, is making people a new creation and transforming them, that this is available for every single part of your life that needs transformation. That, that God isn't absent, that he's not distant, but he's at work in our lives, and that the transformation the change that we desperately seek and that we desperately desire can be found in Christ. And if your soul, the deepest parts of your soul, try to yell and say, that's not for me, that's not for you, the word of God has a better testimony. The word of God yells and screams, this is for you, look around you. Look at these transformed lives. Look at these saints who've passed over from death into new life. The work of God that is done on display in the lives of people around us is still available for us today. This is not old. This is not dead. This is alive and at work in this church. God is taking this old nature and forming a new creation. So how is this transformation possible? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 helps answer this. Uh, verse 18 says, all this is from God. From God. If you're ever disappointed with your progress in changing yourself, throw it out the window. Because transformation is from God. It is not from you. Uh, if you continue to, to look to your own efforts and your own progress, uh, you'll be like me when I go to the gym. I'm just thoroughly disappointed. <laughs> And it's like, this, this, this is the worst. Who invented the gym? It doesn't work. Uh, and, uh, and I tried a few times, but it requires like this sort of ongoing commitment, step by step. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Uh, 
All this is from God. God is the author of your story. Uh, God uh, initiates uh, and God sustains your transformation. Our responsibility is, is belief and walking in obedience uh, to which he has called us to. And as we do those things, he begins to transform us. Uh, because Christ has reconciled us to himself, given us the ministry of reconciliation. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. There it is, not counting their trespasses against him. That God is not counting your trespasses against you. I think this is so important to understand because we limit ourselves to our walk with God because we count our own trespasses, we audit our own lives, and we tally it up against us. We say things like, before I show up to a growth group, let me get this worked on. Uh, before I uh, you know, meet you for coffee and read the Bible, uh, go uh, you know, into this next step in my Christian faith, before I get baptized, we say things like this, let me figure this part of my life out. And this scripture says uh, that God's not counting those things against you. Why are you counting them against yourself? Uh, that God freely and openly invites you uh, into a uh, relationship with him. I, I think of uh, Luke 15, uh, the prodigal son. Uh, when the son returns home, the father's there waiting for him. He's not saying, where's my money? Uh, he, he, he's not saying, uh, what have you done, O foolish son? Uh, he's not saying, go into the field and repay your debts. He welcomes him home and throws a party for him. That is the type of pleasure, joy, and delight that God has in you. He, when that you're in Christ, when you're in Christ Jesus, he's not counting your sins against you because Jesus has taken them and nailed it to the cross. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is one of my favorite verses. That, that for our sake, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, be sin. That he made Jesus be that internet activity that plagues you. That he made Jesus be that addiction that, that, that torments you. That he made Jesus uh, be that insecurity and fear and doubt and every single uh, uh, sinful habit, fleshly habit that, that separates you from God. He made Christ be that on the cross as Christ took it upon himself so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. So that in exchange, we could be considered and made sons and daughters of the most high king. So that in Christ, we can find new life new desire uh, in place of our old sinful ways. He made him who knew no sin become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. For this reason, if you're ever wondering, well, how is it possible that God cannot count my sins, my trespasses against me? Because he credited them all to Christ's account, every single one of them past, present, and future, that even while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And Christ took it upon the cross, uh, rose above all of it, overcame it, rendered it all useless and powerless, and now we can experience new life in Christ. That the power of sin has been removed because we have the power of Christ within us. That the penalty of sin has been dealt with. The wages of sin is death. We now have new life in Christ. And now the presence of God that was absent because of sin in our lives has been restored and we have union with God. I love this. The three Ps, I found this in a very old Bible. The presence of God has been restored. The penalty has been removed. The power has been removed. And now we have new life with Christ. So, so where do we go from here? How do we practically experience this new life? 
Paul helps kind of answer this a few chapters earlier. Uh, he says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, metamorphosized. We are, we are experiencing this metamorphous transformation into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Reiterating that idea that this is from God. So, so how does this transformation happen? It, it happens as we, we behold the glory of the Lord. In other words, uh, God is so powerful, so uh, omnipotent, omnipresent. He transcends all of creation. Uh, that that his, He is powerful enough that when we think about him, we're able to be transformed into him. That's how powerful Christ is. That's how powerful his spirit is. That, that as we think about who God is, he has the ability to transform us into who we're thinking about. That as we worship God, that he has the ability uh, to transform us uh, into the image of the person that we're worshiping. Uh, that as we pray and read the scriptures, he has the, uh, the unique, powerful ability to transform every part of our lives so that we can look more like Christ. So we move from uh, old ways into this new way, into, into loving the way Jesus loves, into serving the way he serves, uh, into uh, experiencing victory and joy and life, eternal life, the highest quality of life uh, as we uh, commune and experience God, that we experience transformation as we behold the glory of the Lord. And, and I love this one part. Uh, I've always missed it, and, and, and it's in the ESV. Uh, it says, from one degree of glory to another. From one degree of glory to another. Uh, in other words, uh, here's a good way to think about this. Um, uh, I had a rental car for two weeks, uh, and I was extremely disappointed uh, because they gave me the exact same car. <laughs> uh, my car needed to get worked on, and so I was really hoping that I would get a minivan because uh, I've been praying for that, like, Joseph Martin minivan dad life. I just think it's so cool. Uh, instead, they gave me a Nissan Sentra. I already have a Nissan Sentra, so it was a really lame experience. Uh, but this one was a bit newer. Uh, it, it had, like, a, a few more bells and whistles than, than mine does. And, and one of the things that I was fascinated with that I thought was cool uh, was that this car, uh, maybe your car has this, like a, like a thermostat, like a digital thermometer, like you can put the number in. Uh, so when I got in the car, uh, it would say, like, oh, it's 40 degrees, and then I had an option to turn it up to, like, 85 if I wanted to. And I just thought that was so cool, and so I did that. I, I got into the car, and uh, it, it was cold. It was, like, 40. And I said, I'm just going to crank this thing up to 89 and see what happens. And so I just went just like that. Uh, and, and what was interesting to notice is that the temperature didn't immediate change, but it gradually escalated one degree at a time. And it went from 68 to 69 to 70 to 71 to 72 to eventually reaching the desired destination. 89. And it was hot, and so I turned it back down. Um, but, but I believe this sort of speaks to our lives and our walk with God, is that in experiencing transformation, that's how intimate and precise God is, is that it doesn't immediately happen. It's not like a microwave transformation uh, where we you know, put ramen in the microwave and then boom, pops out, and it's not even good for you. Uh, it's it's a very intense, uh, detailed, intimate transformation that happens one degree at a time. And it may feel so slow that nothing is changing. But when we look back on our lives, this is what C.S. Lewis says, everything looks so different. 
is that the type of transformation that we're experiencing is so uh, uh, detailed and intimate that it seems like nothing is happening. Uh, but gradually we are being transformed and we're acclimating to this new body that we're living in. I, I believe one of the reasons why is because if God were to give it to us all at once, we would just be destroyed. Uh, we would just lose it. We would be overcome with too much glory. Uh, and, and so uh, God, and he's so precise and intimate and, and takes everything into consideration. His ways are higher than our ways. And so as he's transforming us, as he's working out uh, glory and godliness in our lives, it's, it's one step at a time, moment by moment, one degree of glory to another. And I believe this is really important that we drill down into our hearts because a lot of the time, the frustration that we experience in our Christian life is we want immediate transformation to immediate transformation. Uh, we want to see immediate breakthrough to immediate breakthrough. Uh, God, I, I want you to, to, to come through uh, with helping me uh, pay this bill, but I also want you to deliver me from this uh, sin habit. And then I also want you to part the seas and I also want you to help me walk on water. And we're expecting these grand, marvelous things. And hear me, those things aren't bad. Praise God uh, for, for those moments. But in the day-to-day, what God is doing in our lives, more often than not, is transforming us step by step, moment by moment, one degree of glory to another. And when we can have that in mind, it sets good expectations for what God is doing in our life. We don't have to get mad at God and say, God, what are you doing in my life? Nothing is changing. Uh, God, we say this, God is not a liar. He's doing something. He's working in your life. Even when it seems like nothing is happening, one degree of glory to another. And I love this, that, that eventually all degrees, all the degrees add up you get to 180, and you see a redirection, tangible transformation. That is the work that God is doing in our lives. Um, he will, he can, and he has move very big, noticeable mountains. He can raise the dead right in front of you. He can do all these uh, miraculous, immediate things. But oftentimes in our discipleship to him, uh, he is crafting a new creation. And he's very intimate and precise with what he's building in us. Uh, One degree at a time, moment by moment, step by step, relationship with God. So as we behold the beauty and the glory of God, we are transformed. As we behold him, we look more like him. This is another way that Paul says it uh, in Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Um, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. This is how Paul would get really practical. He would illustrate it using, using clothing. Uh, he's saying you've put off the old self, the old desires, the old habits, and in verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we've put on this new self. We've put on, uh, we, we put on Christ. And as we uh, inform our lives with, with who Christ is and grow in relationship with him, we're gradually being renewed. And so the idea here is like putting on clothes. Uh, when I woke up this morning, contrary to popular belief, I did put on my own clothes. Uh, and uh, it, it wasn't that hard. Uh, I put on my own clothes, and I was very uh, aware of what I was putting on. Uh, I put on the pants, the jacket, the shoes, everything. Uh, it is a part of me. I have every intention of, of going step by step, moment by moment, degree by degree into this world with my clothes on. Uh, it is not coming off. If it is, uh, I'm probably no longer the pastor here. Uh, so I, I have every intention of, of putting it on. And so uh, in a similar way, this is what Paul is calling us to, to have this sort of daily awareness of what we're putting on. Are we putting on 
Christ? Are we putting on love? Are we putting on grace? Are we inviting the Holy Spirit to come cover us? Or are we putting on our own desires, our own flesh? Are we putting on uh, what we want to satisfy us and fulfill us? And is that what we are pursuing? And, and, and what's uh, further interesting is that uh, when, when you go outside, it's kind of hot, so I'm going to take my jacket off. And I'm going to be aware of that. I'm going to be aware that I took off my jacket. Do we have that type of awareness with Christ? Do we have that type of awareness where, where we're so conscious that, that we've put on Christ, that we're in union with God? Do we have the type of awareness when we feel ourselves drifting away from him? Can we sense when we begin to take off Christ, to take off love, to take off godliness? Do we, do we sense that in our lives? And if not, there's absolutely no shame because that is what God is growing us towards. He's growing us to, to being a people that is so acutely aware of his presence over our lives that, that when we feel sin begin to tug us away into the old nature, the new creature creeps back in and reminds us of who we are in Christ. To have this daily awareness that Jesus is with me. I stress this all the time. To set our minds on Jesus as we cook, as we uh, blend things in the kitchen, as uh, we open the door to the laundry room, as we walk into the office, as we walk into the classroom, as we open the door of our truck, to have a constant awareness of Christ. To think about Jesus. To be with Jesus to invite him into every space and place of our lives, to have this intimate union with him, like putting on clothes so close to our skin. This type of intimacy is what we are supposed to have with Jesus. And this is what he has made available for us. So as we behold him, as we set our belief on him, we we are becoming, we are being transformed one degree of glory to another into a new creation. So I, I want to close with this question as we come to the table. Are you being transformed? Or are you on your own effort trying to change your behavior? Are you coming into intimate union with God and letting that be the source of transformation in your life? Or are you taking your own life into your own hands and being the author of your transformation? When we do that, all we end up doing at best is temporarily modifying our behavior, and we never experience the lasting fruit that God has called for us to live in. Are you experiencing step-by-step, moment-by-moment, one degree of glory to another transformation in your life? Or do you only remember that you have a relationship with God when you get around other Christians? Do you only remember Christ when you show up to church? Do you only remember Jesus uh, when you go to growth group? Do you only remember Jesus, uh, you know, when you turn on the radio and the Christian station comes on? Or do you have a moment by moment, step by step, one degree to another, communion and relationship with God? That is the life that God has called us to live. That is the highest quality of life. That is the most fulfilling and satisfying. Do you, you have this? If you don't, it is yours freely. God invites you to welcome him into your heart and make a commitment to uh, believe in him and turn away from all the other things that the old creation indulges on. So, so think about these things that you want to change in your life. Think about these things that you want to put to death. Come to Jesus. 
Let him be the author of your transformation. Worship him. Set your mind on him. As you come to the table, would you be willing to give those things to Jesus? On the night that Jesus was betrayed and, and handed over to be crucified,